Golf's not just a game and it's not played on just grass. Lawn Solutions Australia is the home of Australia's best sports turf varieties. For the world's best grasses like Tiff Tuff, Sir Grange, Primo and Trinity, contact Lawn Solutions Australia at lawnsolutionsaustralia.com.au. That's lawnsolutionsaustralia.com.au. Hello and welcome to episode 51 of The Thing About Golf, Golf Australia Magazine's eternal quest to answer the unanswerable question, why do people get addicted to this absurd game? My name is Rod Murray and joining me on the line from Scotland is the host of this week's episode, John Huggin. Huggy, always good to catch up. Tell the listeners the treat you have in store with this episode's guest. Well, I, I have to admit that this is um, purely down to my, you know, reverting to being a fan rather than a journalist. Um, I've long been a huge admirer of uh, Neil Coles and his golf. Uh, he's well into his 80s now, but um, I can remember watching him back in the day. He was a beautiful golfer, beautiful rhythm, fantastic style, um, just so consistent. He won tournaments in Forgetting whether it's five or six decades, it doesn't really matter which. It's uh, still pretty impressive. And I did a story on him a couple of years ago. I went to see him at his house uh, near Wentworth, as I did for this podcast, uh, with the working headline, the the best golfer America has never heard of. Why? Why is he the best golfer America has never heard of? Well, he, he had a bad experience in an aeroplane uh, back in 1960, um, flying back from Scotland to London and vowed then that he would never set foot in an airplane again, and he never did. So um, any time he played in the Ryder Cup in America, he, he took the boat over. I'm already so all in, go- Neil Coles. <laughs> yeah. I share he, his... Uh, his I, I tell you what, I would advise people, just Google this guy. If there's anything on YouTube or anything, just watch him hitting the ball. He's a beautiful, beautiful golfer. As I say, I was a huge fan. Different time, obviously, Huggy. Unthinkable in this modern era that somebody could be the best player that America had never heard of because no truly good player doesn't go to America. Well, they all get in aeroplanes now. Um, yeah. I think uh, I asked them about I've it. Got their own, Huggy. Um, <laughs> yes, that's true. Um, but yeah, I did. Obviously, I asked him about it, and I don't think he's got any regrets on it. He's had a nice life. Um, he's won a lot of tournaments. Um, he would have. He would have won in America had he gone there and stayed. Uh, played in one Masters in America and had to withdraw because he got a bad case of the flu, couldn't play the last round or something. Um, never played in the US Open, never played in the PGA, but um, did well in a few Opens. He shot a 65 at St Andrews in the first round of the Open, 1970, I think, and he was runner-up, joint runner-up behind Tom Weisskopf in 1973 at Troon. So um, a hell of a player, that's all I can say. As you said, Huggy, in his 80s, one of the things we're trying to do with this podcast that I try to do with all the podcasts we do is to capture things that we otherwise miss. We lost Peter Thompson before we had a chance to do a thing about golf episode with him, and that's a shame in so many ways, although Thompson, we've got all of his writings, and he did plenty of publicity and whatnot. Neil's, as you said, into his 80s, and he's not the most dynamic speaker, is he? But if we listen, there's an awful lot to gain from this interview, isn't there? Yeah, he's he's a quietly spoken guy. Um uh, he's always been that way. He was, he was he was chairman of the board of the European Tour for years and years, which I, I can only imagine that those meetings were um, were quietly, softly, softly approached to things. But I tell you what, there's a couple of instances he describes in the podcast where he was a harder man when he was a hard man when he needed to be a hard man. Put it mm-hmm. that way. 
Um, but as they say, as you say, very quietly spoken and a gentle man, really, in the yeah. best sense of the word. You mentioned you'd written about him a few years ago and whatnot. What were the things that you really wanted to ask him? What are some of the highlights we should look for in this interview? Because it's a pretty long well, one too, which is good. There's the obvious, um, you know, um, he was involved in the the breakaway when the when the PGA in Britain, the European tour was formed in the early 70s. Neil Coase was one of the kind of rebels. Mm-hmm. He described himself as a rebel at the time with a smile on his face. He was one of them. It was like The same thing happened in America where the – the tournament players broke away from the club pros, and it was the same kind of thing in Britain. And he was Take one of the, the Ryder leaders. Cup with them, honey, that which was... they will rue again this week. <laughs> yes, <laughs> they didn't grab the Ryder true. Cup on the way out the door; they left it with the PGA. That's very true. But I mean, Cole's played in umpteen Ryder Cups. He's got some good stories. Played first one in 1961, and he played in virtually every one through to 1977. He never played for Europe. He played uh, right up until the last GB&I team. Wow. And he had a few good scalps. You know, he beat some good players. Yeah, fabulous stuff. Well, Huggy, we'll get on with the uh, the interview with Neil Coles. I'm sure it was a personal highlight for you, and I'm sure it's going to be something that we're all going to enjoy over the next hour or two. Thanks for taking some time today. My pleasure. Uh, Neil Coles, thanks for being with me on the Thing About Golf podcast. Um, hey, pleasure. I always start with the same question. Um, right. What is the thing about golf for you, or what was? Ah. Uh, well, my, my, my father ran a pretty large business and I left school and uh, didn't know what to do. But uh, I'd already played golf as a junior at the local club. So I, he said, why don't you give golf a try and I'll sponsor you. And so the intention was never to be a, a, a golf pro at a, go- at a golf club. Mm. But I wanted to play golf in golf tournaments, and uh, that was the ambition. Um, and then it, I worked very hard from the age of 16 through to 21 uh, when I won the first um, event uh, of any note, which was the Hearts Championship uh, with Di Reese, yep. other county players, uh, good players in the the field, and that was the start of my golfing. Was that kind of the confirmation that you needed, something like that? Yes. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, you you never know (laughs) because of the, you know, the nerves and the the temperament and the, the, uh, it's just, it's not just the game. Uh, you're playing the game well enough, but then it's all the other bits and pieces that yeah. go I mean, with it. There's plenty of examples of people who had it one minute and lost it the next. I mean, right. do guys like you walk around sometimes with the, they're but for the grace of God? Yes, you know. Yeah. I mean, you you do have your moments. I mean, uh, of uh, three putting a lot, you know, um, and that you often wonder. You know whether this is gonna you're ever gonna get out of it, but you know, luckily I did. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm probably, it's, actually, it's a daft question to have asked you. I mean, you lasted longer than just about anybody else at playing at a decent level. I mean, you won in six different decades. Yeah, that's R- right. Remarkable feat. Yeah. I mean, any, any explanation for that other than I mean, I, really, I, I loved yeah, watching you play. Your swing yeah. was, you know, beautiful. I think if you look at the modern player. 
uh, they're all trying to fade the ball. Uh, I was lucky that I hit upon a, you know, if you, you, as today's coaching and and uh, and 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 the technology that they they all employ, they have a, such a good start. Mm. But in our day, it was it was more of a feel thing. Yeah, and luckily for me. I all saw the ball left to right, mm -hmm. and I developed a method which, uh, ac whether it was accidental or <laughs> intentional, but I, I always hit the ball left to right, mm -hmm. and that gave me consistency. Yeah, uh, took took out the left hand side of the golf yeah. course, yeah. and. Uh, that was that was lucky for me, and I think, but it was luck. Well, yeah, yeah I mean, I, I mean, I watched you, you know, yeah. a lot. I mean, you were one of my favourites without yeah. too much smoke up your backside um, to watch. Beautiful rhythm yeah. to it. Um, was, I always worked on that. Yeah, was there anything ever went seriously wrong? I mean, obviously, clearly not, and given how long you um, played, but yeah, small things, yeah. Uh, grip, ball position. Uh, uh, alignment, you know, those were the sort of basics mm -hmm. that uh, I always worked on. Yeah. But that was about all. Uh, you make it sound easy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're all everyone sitting shaking their heads at this point. Yeah, like, yeah. But uh, I bumped into Ken Brown actually, you know, mutual friend of ours oh, yeah, at sure. Wentworth, um, and he was saying, "Ask Neil." He says he reckons that you were the first tour pro. That in Britain, you know, the guys that the, before that they always had a club job, as well as playing in tournaments. And he reckons you might have been at least one of the first that didn't do that. You just played golf for a living. Yes, I think I probably was. I think Malcolm Gregson was. He was. I don't know whether he came a little bit after me, um, but I was lucky that I had a father who had quite a big business. Mm. He ran. Uh, we had, we had 23 shops in the wow. home counties of uh, shoe, shoe, uh, shoe repairing mm -hmm. uh, and retail. And him and his brother ran those. And uh, so it was a, a backup, if you like. That was the family business, yeah. and which has been the family business for the right. last three generations. Yes. And uh, the... In fact, I had a shop of my own at one stage, mm. but um, but that was always a backup, and that gave me the sponsorship mm -hmm. to enable me not to be a a club pro. Yeah, you weren't rushing back to the shop. No, that's yeah, right. Yeah. So, and uh, I could just concentrate on playing golf, which the modern modern player does. Yeah, I mean that. Yeah, you were the first. Yeah, sort of set That's the trend. Right. Yeah. yeah. Did Did your dad give you a sort of time limit, or were you just said, see how it goes? <laughs> <laughs> um, he was always more. He was. Always, have you been practicing today? And <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, and uh, but he wanted you to treat it as a job, then basically. Yes. yes. Oh, yes. So. It was definitely a job. Yeah. And when, when you know, you mentioned that the, the heart's open. I mean, when did it sort of occur to you that, you know, there is a, a good living to be made in that somebody that could play at your level? 
Um, and what was the biggest check you ever earned? Well, probably the players today would probably get a wee laugh at this. <laughs> well, 25,000 for the senior British Open as a senior mm. was the biggest check in a, in a career. Yeah. In my major time, uh, 10,000 for the PGA Championship. What's that? Uh, 70. Six. six in I think it was 76 yeah, it was yeah. the Penfold PGA back then wasn't yeah. it yeah 10,000 pounds yeah <laughs> I mean they, they get that for showing up at a cocktail party I know <laughs> <laughs> change days do you yeah. ever do you ever think you know what if or do you does it not bother well, you you know I mean uh, every era is different isn't it that's that's the mm. you know Peter Alice Bernard Hunt used to win and get 300 quid for a win you know mm-hmm. Well, I never did yeah. that low. But mm-hmm. I remember Peter Alice telling me that he won something. I think it was lit last and he won a tournament and he was walking out with a cheque that, you know, was like an 18 months salary for the ordinary guy in the street. Oh, yeah, you know, that's right. Which was a lot of money back then, but it was a tiny amount of money now. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. Minute. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I was going to get into the the modern game a bit, but since I kind of touched on it there... Um, how how do you view the the way that the golf is played at the top level now compared with w- when you did it? I mean, obviously the equipment's different, the technology's different. They hit it, the ball so much further. The balls are better. Everything yeah, technology I, wise is better. I but think the, you- I mean the 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 game, if you like, the RNA USGA would not have envisaged the development of new new materials yeah. in the clubs, carbon fibre, titanium, um, and the ball Im- improvement over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, we used to test balls for Dunlops up in Liverpool, and uh, the guys that developed the golf balls were boffins. You know, they mm-hmm. were... Mm-hmm. Men in white coats. Yeah, yes, yeah, that's right. And uh, they could make a golf ball with a dimple change, mm. um, do whatever they wanted to. And it was quite an eye-opener mm. in those days to see what you could do with a golf ball. Um, in terms of distance. You're in terms of yeah. distance, yeah. I don't remember the, the DDH ball. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. When we tested that, <clears throat> we tested – they didn't tell us what – the difference was mm-hmm. so we went up there and we we tested it and at the end of the session they said well what do you think of it does it go further and we said oh yes it's definitely going further and they said well it goes nine nine yards further mm-hmm. than anything else we've got yeah and you know that was it was probably just the start of it you know. that was just the start of it yeah. and uh, they actually asked our advice on how we should sell it and we said, well, don't don't give it to the general public. Just let us use it. <laughs> and Sandy Lyle won the first tournament after that with the DDH ball at the Benson and Hedges. Right. And that gave them the momentum to release the goal. Ball. Yeah, it seemed to me, though, that, that, I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but the, the priorities were different back then. When, when you were playing, you know, before that, yeah. was distance really something that anybody thought about that much? Not, it's become the no, big priority not, now. Not uh as long as you were long enough. Yeah. Um, I mean, I used to, in those days, I used to, I could go to, up to Liverpool and it was on a rugby ground and I hit it consistently 260 
which, if you put those two shots together, gave you enough length to get up a 525 yeah. or yeah, yeah. you know a par five. Mm-hmm. And we we had a whole bag full of woods that we could use, you know, yeah. one, two, three, four mm-hmm. different woods, that, yeah. uh, uh, which I don't think they do these days so much. But. Well, they just they have two metals in their yeah, bag now. Really. That's right. That's about it. Yeah. Uh, but um, and a hybrid, you know, the sort of uh, one of my favourite clubs was a two wood, which I could sort of manoeuvre a lot and. Mm. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, well, you say you say that now. Maneuvering the ball is something that's been lost yeah, to a great extent yeah. at the top level, basically right. because the ball doesn't move. Does, doesn't let them no, do it, so they don't have to do it. Doesn't spin. No. I mean, I don't know if you share. I mean, my misgivings. I mean, I'm old enough now to remember watching you play in mm. the, your generation and Trevino and Sevi and all yeah, the rest of them, right. and the the movement of the ball sideways oh, yeah, was a big right. part of it. Now yeah. that's almost been gone yeah. from the top level. I mean, well, do you share my misgivings about that? Well, I mean, when we played the 162 ball, you had to manoeuvre it in such a way that it, it dropped softly onto the hard surfaces that we had in those days mm. without automatic watering, yeah. without there was no target golf yeah. in those days. Mm. And I said it poured with rain the so night So the ball before. was on the ground a lot more. Than yeah. yeah. And you were pitching the ball... 20 yards short of the green to run into the greens yeah. and that so it was a different game mm-hmm. different go and you had to sort of make the ball s- land softly you know so you had to fade it and, yeah. and uh, it's different it's a different technique well yeah I mean absolutely but and um, but I maintain that it was better back then at, the, at, at your level it was a better game to watch and it was a probably yeah, a better well, game to yeah, play I mean yeah. what do you think Probably, yeah. probably. Uh, you had to work the. I mean, work the ball. When you think of the players of the time, Christie, Christie, senior, mm, beautiful, know, girl. beautiful yeah. player, mm. great hands. Peter Thompson, mm. you know, they're all they're all sort of players of. They, yeah, they, they it was always. I mean, I used, the ball. It was always fun to watch and think. Well, I wonder what he's going to do here. Mm. But now I don't wonder very much. No, you know, it's pretty one-dimensional right. stuff. Just bash it down there, three hundred and yeah. something. Or yeah, I mean, they're all great, hugely talented. They, all, yeah. I, I go in this argument sometimes, and the player, players say, "Oh, they take offence that I'm inferring that they're less talented than the previous generations," which is not the case at all. No. They're just making the most of. They're doing what they should do with the equipment they've got, but it's That's it's right. not as it, I'm, it's not. You, I'm not attracted to it the same way. Well, I think the golf courses you, you've got to think about. That I think that the ch- a change in the equipment has has almost developed a a gap between the normal club prof- amateur and the professional game. Yeah. The, the the gap is widening as as we go on. Um, you know the the sort of club member. He wants to get the ball to go further, yeah. if you like. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm all, uh, I'm all but, for that. Yeah, but the reverse is that is the in the for the professional game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, which you know I don't know how the official bodies will 
have got over that, to yeah. be honest. Well, I've, I mean, the listeners to this will probably get fed up with me banging on about this, but they, um, I have had this discussion with, you know, like some Martin Slumbers at the R&A yeah. and Peter Dawson before that. And, you know, I always maintain that they, they always have this fear of what they call bifurcation. You know, the different rules for players at professional level and yeah. players at my level. And, but I maintain that they've created that already by doing nothing because as you just said, that the gap between me, the amateur and you, the professional now has never been wider. And no. they've created that by doing, no. basically doing nothing. Mm. You know, so, and I, I, I mourn the, the demise of the game that you played a little bit. Yeah. Um, but in the professional game of my era, there wasn't much gap, you know. There no, was, no, the, there the was, club champion could give you a game yeah, at his club. Right. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, but uh, today, if you go out with Rory or any of the uh, uh, long hitters, the gap is, is, is mm. huge. It's ridiculous. Yeah. 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 I mean, they're hitting wedges mm. on, on part of par fours that we used to be hitting two woods. At yeah. Well, I was watching about the, the Wentworth this morning just on the television before yeah. I came along here and uh, I said to somebody, do you remember the time where they used to hit two irons to the first green at Wentworth? Yeah. And now they're hitting short irons. They're I driving know. it to the bottom of the hill. Yeah. I mean, that's just unheard of in your day, I'm sure. You know? Oh, no, we, it wasn't even in the, wasn't in the game. No, no, no. Going down that hill. Yeah. But so, so if I was to put you in charge, um, you're you're in Mr. Golf. You're in charge of golf. What what would you do if anything about all this? Well, that would be a difficult problem, I think, for me, because then you've got to consider the manufacturers, how they advertise length of golf balls for the amateur game. They're going to any sort of change in the rules. They're going to kick against uh, if you try to. Shorten, shorten the golf ball because that, that is the only thing that you can do. I think it's easy fix, isn't it? It's yeah. the easy fix. Um, are the pros going to stand for that? Uh, it's a very, it's a well. You know, I wouldn't like to be in the position to be honest. Yeah, you're dodging this. I am. <laughs> <laughs> you're a good and politician. Probably, probably the. The, the official bodies are doing the same. <laughs> yes, well, absolutely. They're, they're, they're putting it off as long as possible, put it that yes. way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway, we'll, we'll move on because I think right. the, the listeners, they're, tired, they're certainly tired of me banging on about this okay. subject. But uh, um, when people mention Neil Coles to me, I, the first thing that always comes to mind, I think it's probably true for most people, is the aeroplane thing. You didn't fly. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Take me back to how that came about. Was it a claustrophobia thing or... Was it just the thought of being in a metal tube 30,000 feet up in the air? Or um, No, I mean, I flew in the, uh, through the 50s mm. quite a lot. You know, flew to Ireland, flew to America, no problem. Mm. Um, but then I flew I, on a very short flight. I went up to, the, to Glen Eagles, which was um, a tournament that we used to play. It was a foursomes event. At the end of the year, and I flew, went up with uh, a member at Coombe Hill, and uh, we flew up there. And uh, on the way back, we got in one of these very wide-bodied aeroplanes, absolutely packed, and flew down to London. And it, London was fogged in, so it circled London for about an hour. And uh, the the more it circled, the worse I got. <laughs> mm. Claustrophobic, right? Very claustrophobic. Perspiration 
dripping off the end of my nose and a woman said, are you all right? And I wasn't all right. No. What um, did it feel like? Well, not, not, not very pleasant, I must yeah. admit. Yeah. And, uh, and then I came off the plane and uh, my wife was there and I said, that's the last time I fly. I never did. Yeah, I looked up, it was 1960 which was the year I was born. So you've been gone 61 years and you've, yeah. never, you've never set foot in a plane. No. Did you never think to try and do something about it, be hypnotised or, you know, well, there was yeah, a few I things mean, you could yeah. have done. But, uh, no, I've, I've thought about going to, you know, because British Airways used to run these sort of seminars, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, for people who were scared. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and, uh, but I never did. And, uh, Inconvenient at times. Well, absolutely. But, I was going to ask yeah. that. I mean, because it, it hurt yeah. you professionally. Yeah. You know. Go, just going to, in the wintertime particularly, going, nipping down to Spain for a few weeks to mm. practice in the sunshine. Uh, that sort of thing, you know, to drive down there is yeah. quite a schlatt. Yeah. You must have, I always felt sorry for your poor cars. You must have put a few miles on cars <laughs> over the years. <laughs> a few million probably. Yeah, that's right. Um, but uh, I've got one in the garage at the moment, an, an old Mercedes, which has done a few miles. That's been down to Spain a couple of times. <laughs> yeah. So any regrets on that score? Mm, there are there were occasions when I got invited to tournaments in America, mm. which I didn't go to because of it. So, so that would have been a regret probably, mm-hmm. probably, yeah. I mean, I, as, you, as you well know, I came here to this very house two years ago yeah. and did a story on you. The, the working headline was, the best player America's never heard of. Oh, yes, that's right. Yeah. Um, I, they, they basically don't know who you are, I mean, over yeah. there. I mean, that that to me, I would have some regrets about that, as good a player as you were. Yeah. I mean, there, there was a lot you could have achieved if you'd... I'm not sure, where, I'm not sure I would have spent... I once spent three months over there in 65... I'm not, I think you, as the modern player does, I think you've got to move lock, stock, and barrel over there. Yeah, you've got to do what Tony Jacklin did. Yeah, yeah, you've got to, and the modern player does that. You know, they have a base where they can go back to. Yeah. Uh, but to just go there to play golf, it's golf motels, travel, golf motels, travel. Mm. You know, I'm not. Doesn't sound like you right now. No, it's not. Uh, not I did it for three months, and I'd done enough at the end of the yeah. time. Were you just by yourself? My wife was with me part of the time, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, not ideal. No. Did you take the boat over? Is that? Is that the I did. Yeah. yeah. How long did that take? Um, by the time you've got out of Southampton, gone across to I think it was La Havre. And to pick up the French people, it's a five-day trip. Mm-hmm. And then you get off the boat in New York, which was, in that case, it was January. So I went down to the three A's office under this particular hotel we were stopping in, and they said, you can't go straight across because well, I've got to pick up the tour in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. So I had to get from New York to San Francisco. And uh, so I had to drive Oh. And they said, you can't go straight across because it's all snowed in. So you have to go uh, way south and uh, then go across and sort of then come up. Yeah. Um, 
through California up into San Francisco, where I picked up the tour and played all the way back again. Well, what did you make of the tour? I mean, the the golf style of golf, like it? Did you like that? I mean, we're we're talking about the the social aspect of it. Obviously, wasn't for you, but yeah. the, the actual golf. I mean, how did you find that? Yeah, well, that was fine. A uh, little bit different. Uh, uh, more target golf in those, you know, as as it is today here. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I enjoyed the the golf courses. Mm. Uh, How did you do? I mean, there's a couple of high finishes in there, isn't there? Yes, reasonable. Mm. You know, reasonable. I don't think I missed. Did I, um, did I miss the cut? I don't think I missed the cut once. But uh, you know, didn't win a lot of money. Why did you go? Because you felt you had to, or because you thought no, I uh, make you a better player, or what? You know. I played in the Plessington Pro Am, and uh, I played in the Plessington Pro Am two or three times with the same guy, mm. and he always had this friend who used to walk around with us. And on the second or third time, I can't remember, he said, "Can I speak to you, Neil?" And uh, I said, "Yes." And uh, we went into the other room, and he said, uh, "I'd like to sponsor you in America." So I said, "Oh, well, yeah, that would be very nice." And uh, he said, uh, "You can take take your wife, and take your children, and take the caddy." <laughs> so I, I said, "Well, I, don't, I think the children are at school, and yeah. I think I can pick a caddy up over there. But I'd like to take my wife." So he said, "Oh, make all the arrangements, and let me know how much it is." And that's what happened. That's why I went it's for three months. Pretty good deal. Yeah. 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 So, so I played for three months and finished up at the Masters. Yeah. I was going to ask you about that. I was looking at your record. Um, one appearance in a, a major championship in America. Yeah. Uh, and you withdrew because you got the flu, I think. Yes, that's yeah. right. I mean, there's got to be some regret about that, is there not? I mean, Yeah, I didn't. I was regret that I didn't complete the... Well, not just that week, but just in yeah. general. I mean, you never played in a US Open... Never played in a PGA. I mean, I've kind of argued in the past that the, even the next generation after you, I mean, sort of Mark James, Sam Torrance, yeah. Ken Brown, Howard Clark kind of group, they, they hardly got to play in the American majors either. No, I mean, I no, think Ken didn't. Schofield and maybe yourself came along yeah. and, and changed that. But yeah. the, the, I've never been able to take the majors seriously as, a, as the kind of be-all and end-all of records for greatness, if you like until fairly recently when everybody got to play. Yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. before that, it was just America. I think and West, one or two others. Westwood just hit the hit a, a hundred that he's played. He might have done, yeah, yeah. Well, I I mean, I played the, the Open and I suppose I played 20 majors. Yeah, probably something about like that. that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah. yeah, I mean, it's it's not fair <laughs> not to use that as the... the not the, really, no. No, no. Not, not compared with the modern player. No, yeah. I mean, I think that you know, that group I mentioned, and certainly you and maybe Peter Alice and Christy O'Connor, yeah. you were all competitive at the highest level. I mean, one of you would have popped up oh, yeah. and won one over there. I mean, yeah. you're, you're going to tell me that, that the Mark James, Ken Brown, Sam Howard Clark group are not as good as Bob Twain, Jeff Sluman, and Larry oh, Mize yeah. and those guys. You oh, know? No, one, some, one of the guys would have. Yeah, it would have would happened. Have got into there. Yeah. Yeah, he'd have played enough. Yeah, so it's, I've, it's always struck me as kind of roll my eyes a little bit. I mean, it's fair enough now because yeah. everybody gets to play, basically. Yeah, that's right. But, I mean, when Seve won his first Masters in 1980, there's four Europeans in the field. Mm. And one of them was an amateur. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's very different. And yeah, he, it he got to play that year because he was in the mm. top one in the Open the yeah. year before. 
Yeah. That's right. So I used to get invites to the Masters every year. Mm -hmm. But the trouble is you played you played winter golf here. Yeah. All the way up to that date of the, of the April yeah. or early April. Mm -hmm. And to go from winter golf here to the Masters, you know, mm -hmm. you, yeah, impossible. It would have been impossible. It would have been not on to be honest. Yeah. So you were never tempted to no, go over never, there for a month before? No, or, not no. really. No. no. Yeah. A lot no. of effort if you're not going to fly, right? Yes. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, yeah, I had a pretty good life out of Yeah, well, I'm not, I'm not knocking it off by yeah. far from it. I, yeah. I'm just wondering if, you know, you you think to yourself in quiet moments, Yeah. you know, if I'd just been able to jump in a plane, it would have been a, a hell of a lot different. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it probably would have been, but. Uh, anyway, here we are. <laughs> yeah. I, think I, I, I wanted to ask you about the Ryder Cup moving moving right along. Right. Um, you played. Uh, you never played for Europe, obviously. Your last time was the last yeah. GB and I team. That's right. Um, sort of describe it to to the listeners what how it was back then and how different it it was from the way it is now. Well, I think the <clears throat> the team was um, sh all short of. Uh, in the bottom end, we were all short of players, mm. and the the strong players of that era were all had to play uh, thirty six holes a day, mm. and by the end of the week, you were pretty shot, pretty knackered. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Because of because of the pressures of playing for your, a team, playing for your country, and uh, the, you know the. The pressures of that alone are greater than playing for yourself, mm -hmm. or different, yeah. different. Yeah. But uh, so, and then the, just the physical side of mm -hmm. of thirty six holes a day for three days. Well, you'd be one of those that were asked to do that, were you? Yes. Much. Yeah. yeah. And when when we halved in uh, Birkdale, mm -hmm. that was the Nicholas Jacqueline yeah. pub. Mm -hmm. I said to Eric Brown the. I said, I've got one. I've got one, eighteen holes left of me in the morning, mm -hmm. and I was playing Tommy Aaron, and I won one up, uh, came in, and oh, yeah, that yeah. was mm. that's that was thank, all I, all I had to give. Sort of thing. Thank, yeah, yeah. And he said, I'm sorry, Neil. I've got to play you this afternoon. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I was. I mean, I yeah. walked around. Yeah. But yeah, I didn't perform at all yeah 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 the teams are a lot deeper now yeah oh yeah i mean the, t the teams today has has proven uh, with a success yeah uh mm. well, through and through you know uh good players all the way through mm. tiff tough hybrid bermuda tough by name tough by nature this sports turf variety supplied by lawn solutions australia is taking sport to another level with superior drought tolerance, speedy recovery and toughness, Tiff Tough really is the smart grass. For more information and your nearest supplier, head to lawnsolutionsaustralia.com.au. Who were the best players in, of your era and your team? Ah, uh, well, Peter Alice, uh, Christy, um, Bernard Hunt, mm -hmm. um, and then... Who else was there? It varied with each team, of course. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, obviously, Jacqueline came along. Jacqueline came yeah. along. Oosterhuis was good. Oosterhuis was good. Yeah. 
Um, Peter Townsend, I always thought was Peter Townsend. Good. He was a good player. Yeah. Um, but then there was a few that weren't. John Garner never played. Oh. Yeah, I, I talked to him fairly recently. I did a story yeah. on the kind of old um, GB&I guys that kind of get forgotten. Yeah. And I found him in New Zealand. Yeah, he lives in New right. Zealand now. Yeah. And I found Peter Townsend in the north of Sweden. I know. He lives up there. He somewhere. lives somewhere up in the Arctic Circle. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it's amazing where, they, where, I, where I came across them. Yeah. But yeah, they all had stories to tell. I mean, they all, you know, remembered it well. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to, you know, bring up something that, uh, I mean, everybody talks about um, Brian Barnes beating Jack Nicholas twice in a day, but yeah. you had, you did a similar thing to Doug Sanders. Yeah, Houston. 67. Yeah. yeah so, yeah, it, I mean, I'm funny. looking for some Ryder Cup stories. What what, uh, what first comes to mind when you Well, that you one was, uh, we were all square coming down um, 15, and Doug, I hit my second into a bunker on the left-hand side, which plugged. And as we approached the green, he said, well, that's, that's good, Neil. That's a good day's uh, golf. You beat me this morning. And it uh, looks as if, you know, I'm going to go one up at this stage. He so actually I, said that. He did say that. <laughs> I said, well, it's not over yet, Doug. Yeah. He was up the back of the green, and I knocked my plugged bunker shot out, stone dead. <laughs> And we halved the hole, and then 16, I hold a putt for two, one up, and hold right from the front of the green at 17 to beat him two and one. And I said, oh, thanks thanks very much, Doug. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what did he say to that? Can you, you repeat it? Do, please. No, I can imagine. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, that's... Uh, it, it must have been a hard thing, was it? I mean, every two years, I mean, there wasn't much hope of winning back then I mean as you say the team wasn't deep enough really I mean 69 was the highlight obviously yeah, but the, that's right. generally speaking it, it was you know a bit of a stroll for them you know the Americans oh yeah it was yeah I mean, what did that feel like I mean how did you go into it I think you went into it as an individual mm. uh, an individual playing an individual um, and uh, you didn't really think about you were obviously trying to put points on the board for the team but you know you were playing an individual game so it wasn't quite as bad as as bad as that mm. um, but uh, you almost resigned to the fact that you know they were going to be better, better than you were but. Was Jacqueline the best player of the, the teams that you played on? Yeah, For a I brief think, period certainly was. I think the the captain inspired when we hard Eric Brown, and you remember Eric? Yeah, of course, yeah. Uh, he inspired the team because he was not going to take any nonsense from he, them. He was a hard bugger, wasn't he? He was, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and then the Jacqueline, the Jacqueline uh, winning the Open, mm -hmm. American Open, was, you know, an inspiration. And that was the first time that I'd played in that where everybody was playing well. In 69, you're talking? Yeah, yeah. And uh, everybody, I don't know whether it was it was the whether it's the captain or Jacqueline or you know it was we felt good about that mm -hmm. yeah. that week yeah and uh, but uh, where, where were you when the famous concession putt was was given were you around um, I think I was in the clubhouse <laughs> I probably finished, having a seat after I was finished by yeah, then yeah. yeah I think I was. 
Yeah, I was up in the restaurant up in uh, Birkdale. I actually saw it happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it was, yeah, I was up, up there. In the- Were you surprised? Would you have done something like that? I mean, a lot of the Americans weren't too happy no, with them. No, the Captain Sneed wasn't, yeah. he wasn't very he happy. He wasn't chuffed, no. No. Uh, it, was, it was one of those iffy lengths one. Yeah, you know. it was. It was um, two and a half feet, probably. I don't think anybody would have criticised Nicholas if he'd made him putt. You know. No, but Nicholas had a, he had a feeling about the Ryder Cup that we needed either a win or or a half. Mm. And he was, I mean, he was the instigator of bringing Europe. Right? Yeah, well, he later on, yeah. I mean, yeah. he, he kind of got fed up with it, to, yeah. to be honest, didn't he? Really? Yeah, yeah, he did. And uh, I think that he was, he had a feeling about the Ryder Cup that it would die if, if something didn't happen. Yeah. Was that the highlight for you, 69? The yes. Tie? Yeah, it yeah. probably was, yeah. Mm. Yes. And the, when it did change, um, how, how did you feel about that? Were you, you kind of with Nicholas? Yeah, well, I was on the committee. That, right. that uh, and we were all for that. You know, mm. something to, had to change. Yeah, it was. It was. Uh, it's. It was had to change or die. You know, and that was. I think was it the Weisskopf who didn't play? He didn't come. He went hunting. Yeah, he went hunting. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So that that was, if you like, an indication that the thing would sort of finish. Mm-hmm. So we had to do something, and that was a, a good, good, uh, a good result, I think. In, yeah, in I'm hindsight, so, yeah, you know, well, obviously. Been, I mean, it's yeah. become this, you know, my goodness, what it, it's, it's hard to describe what it is now. Yeah, it's, it's huge now. Yeah, and so yeah. without, you know, it's yeah. proven that it was the right thing to do. Yeah, I mean, I went to see it as a young, just barely a teenager at Muirfield yeah. in '73 because it was near where I lived. Yeah, um, and it was very different then. Yeah, compared right. with what it's become, yeah. you know, and yeah. and I think it, it was better in some ways. Certainly, the crowd aspect of it, um, there was no booing or jeering or no. insults flying around or you know none of that stuff. No, right. maybe because there was never any doubt really about the result. Yeah, but right. <laughs> it was. I mean, I've been to some of them recently, and yeah. it's it's not good. No, you know, it's, it's some of the stuff that's getting well. The, I was watching the ladies, you know, this week, and uh, you know, yeah. I mean, there, there wasn't a lot of clapping going on when a European <laughs> hold apart, was there? <laughs> there wasn't, you know. But they were, they were. Didn't they pa- do well. Well, they were absolutely <laughs> fantastic. I mean, the wee Irish girl was terrific. Yeah, you know. I, mean. I believe there's not many uh, supporters going over for the Ryder Cup. So. Well, there can't be. No, I mean, so I don't know. Yeah. What the, yeah, I, I, I think the thing, the European team should have earplugs. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe I think, but by the time this goes out, that we'll know what's happened. Oh, right. So we'll have to make you know we're we're speculating, but yeah. when people listen to this, they'll know what went on at Whistling Streets. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, who knows? I mean, the, the European team looks pretty good from this yeah, angle. It does. Yeah, pretty strong. Yeah. So, anyway, how, how involved were you in the in the discussions of you know when the Ryder Cup changed? I mean, and what was the thinking? What what were the options on the table, sort of thing? Was there any thought of just killing the thing off? No, yeah. no. I mean, the 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 revenues that we got from the Ryder Cup, there was never any question of of letting it die, mm. uh, and uh, the it was almost accepted that we had to do something, mm. and that was the best best result. Yeah. There was a, there was never any question of of getting it drift away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, in retrospect, it's a pretty obvious thing to do, but it probably wasn't that obvious at the time, was it? I mean, just to um, 
it was begin. Well, we were a European tour. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which I'm going to get to in a minute. Yeah. yeah. So, so mm. the 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 obvious thing was that, that it became a European team. Mm-hmm. So I think yeah. that was yeah on the cards right from then from day one really that it was going to happen. Yeah. Did you sort of um, speak to the, the European lads at, or the Continentals and, and think, ask them, were they even interested in playing? Or did it I don't just, think we did. No. Just announce well, it. Well, they were all members anyway. So yeah. they, they were all members. They just became included in the yeah, yeah. in the team. Which, yeah. You know, it was, they didn't get revved up right away either. I mean, it was a, you know, 79 team, only had the two Spaniards in it. Yeah. And they, you know, and then Seve didn't play in 81, which I'm going to ask you about as well. Yeah. And then it was eighty three before it really kicked off yeah, it was. as a competitive yeah. thing. Yes, it was. Yeah. yeah. So, but you must take some pleasure from that, you know that that you've built. You were, you know, dead on the ground floor sort of thing. That yeah, I mean there were a few. I mean it was a committee, mm-hmm. so it was chaired by Lord Derby. Mm-hmm. You know, so that was, uh, and it was his. I think Nicholas got in touch with Lord Derby to say that you've got to strengthen your team and and. Uh, so he came to, it was a joint committee, mm-hmm. PGA, European Tour. Right. And uh, it was accepted straight, almost straight away. Mm. And that was the way we were going to go. Yeah. Because 77, I mean, the, you know better than me because you played in it, but the, it didn't seem like there was hardly any golf. You know, there wasn't much, there was only about three series or something to play. I mean, it was yeah. it was, it was very Spartan. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe that was, the, that was maybe what convinced Nicholas. That's right, yeah. Anyway, I'm going to drag you back a few years okay. to the 71, I think, 71, 72, the, the beginning of the European tour as is now. Yeah. Um, what was It was kind of like in America where the, there was a split with the PGA and the, between the sort of club pro side of things and playing side of things. Yeah. Was it a similar kind of scenario that, that well, started there a, off? There was a group of us <clears throat> um, by this time who, if you like, I was one of the first to just be a tournament player. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there were, uh, 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 the numbers got greater and greater that were just playing golf. Yeah. For, although there, some of them were employed at clubs. And uh, we wanted to run our own affairs and uh, spend our own money. So we put together and, headed by John Jacobs and uh, <clears throat> the and we became the well, I forget what it what, what it was now it's such a long time ago was it the European Tour Players Division yes Something like that's that. right that's yeah. right that's yeah. right that's what it was and uh, run by a, a committee mm-hmm. of which I was on Bernard Hunt was the chairman uh, and and John Jacobs was the the main man who who uh, ran it, and uh, then the PGA. Yeah, how happy were they about all this? They were not happy. <laughs> yeah, that we were beginning to form this breakaway section, and they came up to uh, Fulford at the Benson and Hedges with lawyers. And uh, tried to sack John Jacobs, and what was his official position at that point? Well, he was uh, what was what was his? Uh, I must have had a title. 
chairman of the board of the ETPD. No, I was Bernard Hunt was the chairman right. of the committee. Right. Uh, and then Bernard, for some reason, he didn't want to become chairman. <laughs> right. <laughs> because of this uh, war, if you like, with the, yeah. with the people in the PGA. And so he resigned almost the sort of couple of days before or the night before. Before the lawyers. <laughs> before yeah, before right. we got into this lecturing hall in the University of New York. Right. And John Jacobs said, well, you've been making all the noise, Neil, so you can be chairman. <laughs> <laughs> so I went, well, yeah. that, thanks, John. Yeah, yeah. So. Uh, <clears throat> but you stepped up. I stepped up and uh, we were then all ushered into this lecture hall with all the players, mm-hmm. all the players there. And I had to stand up with the lawyers of the PGA and the PGA mem- committee. And I said, uh, John Jacobs is only acting on behalf of the committee. He's not acting on his own. He's in- acting under instruction from the committee. And that sort of, the lawyers got up and walked out. Really? Why? Because they'd been given the wrong story, I think, Ah, from the PGA. Did they think they were going to be able to go after an individual? Yeah, they thought it was John Jacobs, but not a a committee of the players. Right. And so that that sort of finished that, and we then became much stronger. And then sometime later, they all moved to the belfry, and we stayed at the Oval. How long did that all take? How long did the split? How long did it drag on from start to finish when you thought, right, we're going to do this to the point where you did do it? Well, I think the that was the sort of instigation of from that point on, we were the European Tour, yeah, and they were the PGA, yeah, and then both based at the Oval, mm. and then the physical movement of uh, them moving to the Belfry, yeah. And we we stayed in London, yeah, because it suited us, and that was the that was the you know if you like the final yeah. separation, yeah, exactly physical yeah. separation, yeah. 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 Were you a natural administrator? No, no. Well, no, you, I, you were there a long time though, so you you must have been doing something right. <clears throat> I think fortunately, I was I was the chairman for that, but I, with Ken and George. My theory was that I was a figurehead and This is Schofield and O'Grady, is it? Yes. Yeah. They were the they were the CEOs. They ran it and they made the decisions. And that was that was my way of operating as chairman. You're a rubber stamp kind of guy, is that? Yeah, I had I had you you had some input, I'm sure. I had I, I can't believe you were just sitting back and letting them come with it. I don't believe On occasion. That. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can imagine. There were, there were instances of... Uh, <laughs> Give me an example. There was one, the guy who ran the Bob Hope Classic, I don't know what his name was, he came up um, to the Belfry and we were having a committee meeting and I sat there and Ken was saying, and he, Ken was said, and he's suing me. I said, oh, is he? Where is he? The, this guy was suing yeah. Ken. Yeah. So I said, where is he? So he said, oh, he's outside. So I said, right, you, outside, don't mention a word. I'll do all the talking. Right. What did you say? I went out. I said, I understand that you're suing him. 
So he said, yes. I said, you're not suing him because he worked for us. You're suing us. Mm. I said, if you tear that in front of, if you tear it up in front of me, you've got a tournament. If you don't, you haven't. Oh, this is a new Neil Coles for me, this. <laughs> and he went, Good on. I said, right, now you can come in and talk about a golf tournament. Right. Well, you're tougher than you looked. <laughs> <laughs> this genial figure, you know. No, just yeah. it, it, there comes a stage yeah. Yeah, that, you, where you've got to yeah. assert yourself. Yeah. And uh, But Ken never mentioned, didn't say a word. No. Well, not should he? If you, you know, just let you. Yeah, know, that's you know. right. You obviously had it. You had something in mind. So yeah, just see what. Right. Yeah. I didn't say much. Yeah. But uh, he's second. The I forget who the guy's guy's name. He was from South Africa, I think. No. But, uh, <laughs> but but you sorted him out anyway. That's good. Well, yeah, but uh, you know, it was a pretty straightforward thing as far as I was concerned. Yeah. You took a pretty tough line with Seve in 81 as well with the appearance money thing. I mean, talk, talk me through that. What was your feeling on that? Uh, um, we'd had a lot of problems with Seve. He wanted appearance money against the rules. Mm-hmm. He wanted appearance money for all, all his, and he hadn't joined the, he hadn't joined the tour. Mm-hmm. Although he was playing, he hadn't joined. Right. And Kennan had a lot of hassle with him. And uh, we got to the Benson Hedges, uh, and John Jacobs was because it was John, myself, and Langer were the, were the, the three. The, the three. Well, you told me about this. It was the first time you'd said to anybody, I think, when you told me yeah. who, who you actually how the vote went. Yes, you know, so it was and, two one. Uh, so I walked in. John was already in the room when I got there. So that. I joined John, and he said, you don't have to say to me. He wanted Seppi in, obviously. Yeah, he was the best player in the world at the time. Yeah. Yeah. And he said, I know how you feel, and you are you still of the same mind? So I said, yes, I am. So that left the casting vote from Langer, who was came in a few minutes later. He was there. What was his role in that? Was he there as the number one in Europe, or what was his? He was um, yeah, why he was, was the leader of the Order of Merit, I think. Right, okay. If I remember right. Yeah. And so he came in, and um, Langer's a man of few words. Mm-hmm. And John said to him, you know, what's your feeling? And he said, I don't think he should be in. That was it. That was it. Two to one. Yeah. What What was your feeling on the bigger picture of um the appearance money and specifically Seve's argument that why would he not get it when some of them leading Americans at the time were being paid to come and what was your counter argument to that? I think he, I mean, there were right, you know, there were ways around it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, the, the, the PGA tour has proven that. I mean, they claim to have no appearance money, but the, the, their players are appearing at cocktail parties and whatever else, you know, on Tuesday evening, you know, know, 50,000 to, chip over to a cocktail party, it gets round it. Yeah. I mean, that was mm-hmm. very short-sighted of Sebi or his manager yeah. not to do it that way. He was pretty dogmatic, though, wasn't he, Sebi? I mean, he was, he very. dug himself in, yeah. Yeah, he was. Whether he, you know, but... Uh, it, I mean, it just seemed to me at the time, I mean, I was pretty young, but looking at it from a distance, it was, it was such a shame. You know, the, he wasn't in the team because he was the best player. Oh, he was, and, yeah. The, well, and that. I was like you. I thought there has to be a way, yeah. a compromise in this in, mm. in here somewhere. But did he? He basically drove you to the point where 
no, we we can't do anything else. Is that fair? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, what uh, he should have found a way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But he was always driven by the money. You know, he was the money yeah. was important to him yeah, because he. Was. I think partly because he came from nothing. I mean, yeah, he, he had nothing yeah. growing up. I mean, so. Angel told me a story once. Angel Galado about he drove an old Peugeot apparently, and the Range Rover gave him a Range Rover. And he sent it back after two weeks because it loses it uses too much petrol. <laughs> it's too expensive to run with it. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds like him running. Right but uh, you know, that's the sort of <laughs> that's where he came from, Sebi. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't blame a guy for. Do you, do you think where do you go on the um, uh, ranking Sevi versus Faldo versus the rest of them? Where, where would you put that? The, you know, the so-called big five that came along. How, how would you rank them? Different. Uh, I mean, Sebi was a natural player, and I saw him hit shots which I couldn't, didn't believe. Um, great hands, uh, um, great putter, um, and uh, but then Faldo was the opposite of that. You know, method straight down the middle. Uh, also, great putter, mm. but um, and great players with great records, mm. both of them. Mm. Um, <clears throat> but so different in in method and. Uh, uh, but uh, and what were the other three? Where would you? How would, if you if, right? I'm going to tell you, ask you to put them one to five. What, what order would you put them in? Yeah, I think. But I think I'd put Sebi at the top. Mm. He's certainly the most historically significant. Yes. I mean, he he moved the leader more than anybody else. Yeah, and then Faldo. Mm. Um. I remember I was actually the person who asked Sevy once. You know, if everybody played their best tournament, Sevy, who would win? And he looked at me as if I was mad and said, "Well, well, Sandy would win." You know, Sandy for that brief two or three years there. I mean, he was unbelievably good. Oh, and then Sevy thought he was the best. You know, which is quite. I played with Sandy uh, in the practice round when he won the Open with Bernie Gallagher. And he was unbelievably good, mm. even in the practice round. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, unbeatable. Yeah, nobody hit one irons like him. No, yeah. uh, and strong, long. I mean everything. And uh, I mean, it wasn't a surprise that he won the Open. <laughs> no, no, you should have got some money on him. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, then, then, then probably Sandy next. Um, and then who who else? And then Langer and Wisdom. Langer and Wisdom. I mean, Langer in the, the long term has proven to be has won more than anybody. Mm, you know, yeah. I mean, he's still playing well. Yeah, it's sixty three or whatever. It yeah. Is, yeah so. so you know where where you'd put Langer in the packing order then now? I'm not yeah. sure. It's a good debate, I think, because you know, I mean, Langer. I'm not sure Langer was ever the best player in the world. If he was, it was pretty brief. But yeah. Woozy was the best player for about a year. Yeah, he was. Yeah, you know. So it depends how you how you yeah, you yeah look that's at right. Um, yeah, I mean Lang of Woosnam, you know. But it's 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 where they were in the in their form. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I, I mean, I'm a big thing for longevity. Yeah, I mean, I, you can make a case that Sam Snead was the best player of all time because he was great longer than anybody else has been yeah. great. 
yeah. you know, and you could relate to that. I mean, you you played at an incredibly high level for such a long time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I think that gets a wee bit overlooked. Mm. Yeah, Langer's, uh, well, he just goes on and on. Yeah. Anyway, I want to talk to you about the Open. You right. were close a couple of times, I think. Yeah. Played a, talk to me about the your, your Open record and did you get close to winning and did, are there any regrets looking back that, that you didn't? Um, the only I think the only chance I had of winning was Palmer's win at Barkdale. I had an incredibly low first nine, and I, I I think I was almost in the at the point of leading at that stage, mm. and then I started back with five 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 five, yeah, and that blew me right out, and I eventually finished third. Palmer, Diaries, and myself, yeah. But that was the only chance of winning. Mm-hmm. And then second at Troon, I was never... You came from a long way back there, didn't I you? I was coming right from the back, but Weisskopf was so far ahead um, with a few holes to play that I was never going to win that. Mm-hmm. But I was pulling up into second place. Yeah. With a, you know, I got a three at the last, if you like. It rained all week at Trin. Yeah, it did. Yeah. And that suited me. Well, I was just going to ask you about that because I read somewhere way back in the day that you, that you were never a huge fan of Lynx golf because no. of the bounciness and you preferred the mm. the inland stuff. And Trin played like an inland course. It did week. that week, and yeah. it was it was very much target golf because yeah. it was so wet. And I played well, you know, uh, because of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, was that just how you saw the shots? I mean. You, yeah. Again, I get back to coming, you know, playing in America. That that yeah. again, that sounds like American golf to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eventually, but uh, played with Lanny Watkins in the last round. So you would get, and round, I hit a lot of shots. Quick. I had a lot of hit shots very close. <laughs> and every time I hit this shot close, I mean very close. Oh, great shot. Yeah, it was almost surprising. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's patronizing you. Yes. Pat it on the head. Yeah. Who are you anyway? Yeah. So, yeah. Where have you come from? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So no regrets on the open then. I mean, you had a incredibly low round at St. Andrews, I think, didn't you? It's 1970. You were leading after one yeah, round. 65. Yeah. That was almost the washout. Yes. Open. When Jacqueline was, yeah, he was low as well, but they, I expected them to scrub that round, driving back. I think we were stopping in over the river at Dumfries, is it? Or Dundee? Dundee. Yeah, Dundee. Dundee Bridge, yeah. Yeah, and uh, I was driving over that bridge and it was absolutely bucketing down. Mm-hmm. And uh, I said to her my wife, I said, they'll scrub it today, but they didn't. Well, they had to stop eventually. I mean, the place was flooded. Yeah, well, I mean, there was lightning as yeah, well. So, yeah, I remember the water coming down. Yeah, the that's right. Exactly. The, yeah. the Arnie Clubhouse. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That was the first open I ever went to. Yeah, I was. I, you don't remember me? I was a little guy in shorts. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I, I I keep coming back to the the. If I was you, I'd be sitting here thinking, "Damn, I mean, everybody's got regrets." I mean. As you get older, do you, do you get a wee bit maudlin about it? I mean, I, I think I would. I mean, I'm, how do you feel about that? Do you, do you just think, well, it, it is what it was or, you know? Yeah, I'm a, I was great. I trained myself right from the very start to once that round of golf's over, that's history. Mm. 
Yeah, I suppose you have to be like that. Yeah, and you know that's in the past. Yeah, I'm, I've got no regrets. No, if I had a bad round, psh, that's history. Mm-hmm. I look forward to what's coming up. Yeah, and I've all thought that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, so. that's a good way to be. I mean, it makes yeah. more sense than than me sitting, you know, fretting about it. Yeah, you know, so. and uh, no regrets. Had a good living, good life. Yeah, uh, both myself and my wife had. Great, you know, good life, mm-hmm. yeah. and uh, some funny things. <laughs> if you look around this house, <clears throat> the the captain at uh, St George's Hill of uh, Stuart Letts, uh, he wanted they're doing a, a sort of section of wall for right. me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. and he said, "I want you to get all your memorabilia out on the." T- <laughs> On the dining room table, Neil. <laughs> and you're thinking, have I got any? <laughs> and he said, uh, I would, uh, and then we can uh, we can sort it out. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought, well, I'm not doing that. And uh, so they came along, him and, and the chairman, and we sat in the lounge there. And he said, have you got all the stuff ready, Neil? So I said, uh, no. <laughs> so he went, oh, why not? So I said, because, Stuart, we'll start off here. These are the Ryder Cup replicas in the dining room. Yeah. And we'll walk, we'll go around present from the, in the Ryder Cup. All the cups in there. Yeah. I said, now we'll walk through to the, la- to the dining room. This is all Ryder Cup stuff. Pictures of this. Yeah. All that stuff on there is from, from presents that yeah. we've ever had. Yeah. And the chairman said, Stuart, this is like a museum. <laughs> 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 and then they took him into the study where all the pictures are. Right. I tried to get all the pictures of me in prize giving. Right. You know, yeah, yeah. So they're all in there. Right. And, uh, and and that was it, really. And So it's never happened? It never happened. But they... They've done it. Yeah. In fact, I've got to go up next week and they're going to present it to me. So. I wanted to finish off, and um, we've done a, um, a fair bit of looking back, obviously. Yeah. Um, I want to look forward. How do you feel about what's happening with the European Tour and the PGA Tour at the moment? I mean, what uh, the direction of things? Uh, how are you viewing that from a distance these days? Um. I think the the leakage of the top players to America, mm. um, which started with Ken, continued with George, mm. and now has, has reached a stage where it is very difficult to get them to come back mm. here. When they're living in America, they're traveling. The money is such that they that they fly in their own jets to tournaments. They play the same surfaces every week for huge amounts of money. And at the end of the day, the pension funds mm. that they they receive when their playing days are over are so huge 
that it's almost a no no brainer to for that top group. And the difficulty from the European tours point of view is what do you do about that? Mm. <laughs> and the the amalgamation of some sort of deal between America and European tour could alleviate some of that problem. Mm. Uh, and, uh, <clears throat> but I don't know, you know, I don't know the details. Yeah, I mean, because it's, I'm not it, in the loop as yeah, it were. Yeah, well, the European, the, the role of the European tour has sort of been redefined, it seems to me, uh, as an ongoing thing. Yeah. We'll see what, what's going to happen, but what, what would you like to see happen? It's a difficult one, that. I mean, you, you've got to provide golf for the up and coming mm-hmm. guys. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. that's where your top players come from. Yeah. <clears throat> Uh, as long as that happens, that the European players get the opportunity to play in in the in their own tournaments, I'm not sure who whether it's a a joint venture between. Yeah, the danger is that is it not that the European Tour be, could could become the sort of second division and there'd be there'd be promotion well, and relegation. Yeah, and there, there'd be a that, pathway that as you could, say. That could happen, I suppose. I mean, I'm, you know, just thinking out loud. Really. Yeah, um, because I'm not involved anymore. It's, mm-hmm. it's, uh, I'm not sure of the. But if I put you in charge, what would you like to see? Though? Well, a, a true partnership. We, we, we experienced, we experienced the difficulty through Ken and George, you know, of my time, mm-hmm. of the, of trying to get the players to come back and support. The, the home tournaments, uh, which was very difficult. What was their argument about not coming? Just that there's too much money here. Money. Yeah. Money. Pension. Mm. Surfaces. Weather. Mm. Ease of travel. Mm-hmm. You know. The obvious so things, yeah. It's all, all the sort of, there's a list there. Uh, once uh, we were talking about it in a board meeting some years ago. And they said, somebody said, well, what would you do, Neil, if you were at the top? I said, <laughs> I listed all the things, and I said, it's a no-brainer. I said, I'd be, I'd be over there. Yeah. So it's not a battle they can win, then, it sounds like. Some, whether they, they come up with a solution to it, whether there's an amalgamation of some description. yeah. yeah. I don't know. Maybe it, it, you know, the the European tour as it's gone the last few years. The, the, there's been times of the year where the European tour has been the place to be. Mm. You know, there's the sort of Middle East run at the beginning. Yeah, the sort of month between the US Open and the Open mm. was always a you know fertile yeah. part of the European tour. And then after the end of the the American tour, finish it when they finish. After mm. that, there's a period where there's a few big money events where yeah. they could come and play. But other than that. I mean, the sort of February, March, I mean, it's tumbleweed yeah. on the European tour. I mean, the, there's not a lot going on. No, there isn't. You know, there's no. tournaments, but there's, there's none of the big names are playing. No. They're in America. Yeah. And as I say, I'm with you. I can't, I, I'm not sure that's a battle you can ever win. You know, you're professionals and you yeah. play for money. So 
and and I mean, and hu- such huge money, mm, yeah, that you can't compete with it. Yeah, I mean they're winning more money in a week now than Jack Nicholas won in his career. Yeah, I know. you know. So yeah, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I won. What did I win? Through main main tour and seniors tour, I won just over a million. <laughs> Is that right? Well, yeah. yeah, which is a lot of money at that time. A, it yeah. sounds a lot of money, but it's yeah. not over <laughs> 50 years. Or yeah. and, and you're paying your own way, of course, yeah. as well. So, yeah. and, uh, but, uh, you know, that's that's one week's money these days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, no, it's it's out of control. I mean, yeah. it's, the, the, the lives they live now are so divorced from, you know, the ordinary guy in the street. It's, oh, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, well, it's like the football, isn't it? Yeah, the same thing. Yeah. It's exactly the same. It's it's it's, it's not obscene, but it's it's. Actually, I had a question. I read a cup question, which struck me when I looked at your record, and I should have asked you this earlier. But you didn't play in nineteen seventy-five. What what went on there? You played every year from sixty-one to seventy-seven, apart from seventy-five. Can you remember what was going on then? Were you ill, or could you? Was the boat too slow, or what was? So, I think it was on the west coast, wasn't it? Uh, no, it was at um, it's in Pennsylvania where Palmer was from because he was the captain. Oh, was he? Yeah. So I don't remember why. Yeah. Why I didn't play? It struck me that you know there was this little gap. You know, yeah. So maybe he just played rubbish. You know. <laughs> yeah. I can't remember why I didn't play there. Anyway, no big deal. Yeah. Just wondered. Um, my very last question. I'm going to lapse into cliche here. Right. Um, how would you like Neil Coles to be remembered? Speaking in the third person for a minute. <laughs> uh, well, I think probably my record, my record of wins. Um, I think stands up against most. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. 42 wins through the majors and major tour and seniors tour. Um, so just as a bloody good player, is that? Yeah, just consistent. Yeah. yeah. Um, you did for a long time as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, from you, tw- you never got the yips? Did you ever get any, well, I did, any I of those did. symptoms? I did get the yips. Yeah. yeah. I think everybody does a little bit, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. Did it from time to time. Yeah. Yeah, but luckily I came out of it. I had my own method of getting out of it. And Finish on that. The cure for the yips. We're going to cure the yips. <laughs> <laughs> well, I played in the Dutch Open once and I was playing as good as I ever played. And I was playing with Christy Senior. But when I walked onto the green, I never even looked at the putt. I just hit it towards the hole. And he said, you're not trying at all. I said, even if I try, I should miss it. Yeah. So I'm just hitting it at the hole. Yeah. And if it goes in, fine. But if it doesn't, yeah. that's I'm quite happy with that. Because he had a few issues on that as well. Oh, Christy. he did, yeah. And Peter Alice was terrible. Yeah. For- and Christy, Christy was, uh, we played, in, I played in the foursomes at Atlanta with him. And we got on the first green and he said, can you see the grain on these greens, Neil? So I said, yeah. Well, I'm so Got some idea. Yeah. He said, just tell me where to hit it. <laughs> oh, that was a bit of a shock. Yeah, yeah, partner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, 
Yeah, he wasn't. He wasn't great on the greens either. No, no, it was uh, maybe. The, of course, the greens weren't as good back then either. Oh so, no, they were. No, they were rubbish compared. Rubbish. To now. That's why everybody was so risky back then. Yeah, like to, I mean, to do that, we never. We used to arrive at a golf tournament. Are they slow or fast this week? <laughs> you didn't know. Yeah. But a, a fast was sort of running at about nine. Yeah. And slow was five. Yeah. You know, I mean. Yeah. Unheard of now. Unheard of. Yeah. If they're not a sort of 11 or 12 now, yeah. there's ructions, isn't there? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> it's not the same as last week or the week before, you know. It's got to be the same. Yeah. So. yeah. Anyway, on that happy note, I thank you for your time, Neil. Um, it's been a pleasure. I've enjoyed okay. the chat. Well, great pleasure. Okay. Great pleasure to answer the question. What a delightful throwback to a different and more genteel time and a peek into a world of professional golf that is truly all but unrecognisable today. I sometimes wonder if any of us, today's players included, really appreciate just how difficult the game was in Neil Coles's time. Terrific work there from John Huggan, and that's an interview that I know I'll come back and listen to again. Now, as romantic as the past sounds, we can't live there. So on our next episode, we're fast-forwarding all the way to the present, but taking a slight left turn to Iceland. Yes, Iceland, to chat with one of the most interesting golf course architects I've ever met, Edwin Roald. Trust me, if you have any interest in golf course architecture or the history of the game, you don't want to miss it. And between now and then, I highly recommend you do yourself a favour and check out some photos of golf in Iceland. Adventurous does not even begin to describe that landscape. That's Edward Roald from Iceland, next time on The Thing About Golf. <laughs> <laughs>